So I woke up this morning, Paul Kenny asked me last night, you know what you're going to do? And I was like, no, I'm not a night person. And, you know, I stayed up till probably 1130 or midnight last night. That's late for me. Um, and especially teaching, I'm surprised I feel as good as I do this morning. I think it was the energy of having a grandson and a son in worship together. Yeah. I held emotion back all day yesterday. Um, I was watching Philip and Mackenzie do their first dance, and Mackenzie and Kevin, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> See, it's there. I normally can control those things, but there's times in your life where things are just special, and that was special to me to have, uh, I was thinking, of a Proverbs that says a man's blessing is to give good gifts to his children and to his children's children. So I was up here with my child, one of my children, and one of my children's children. Uh, that is a blessing to see the love of Christ pass on, not just the love of music, but the love of Christ pass on to the next generations. So I said, I'm a morning person. It'll come to me probably when I wake up in the morning. Um, things do that for me. And I woke up in the morning and thought, nothing's coming. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when I came in today, it, it's like, Kevin, what are you teaching? Kevin asked, what are you teaching on? And it's like, oh, I'm going to teach on the seven characteristics of Joseph's life. He goes, oh, I thought you'd teach on Pentecost. It's like, I forgot. Been a little busy. I knew it was the day of Pentecost. I told Pastor Mark that, by the way, you'll be teaching on the day of Pentecost. And so he designed a sermon for that specifically, but Mark's not here. And I forgot that today is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit hasn't forgotten, so he can still pour out on us. But I'll tell you what I did. I'm in school have been since 2015, and I had to write a paper. The paper was Seven Values of Leadership taken from the Bible, and so I chose to pull seven characteristics of the life of Joseph and just kind of condense them for a paper that I've just recently written. It's fresh in my head, and I just tweaked it all up this morning to make it work for a message. I thought, when I was writing the paper, I thought, this is a sermon, but I'll never preach it. <laughs> and the Lord said, oh, yeah, you will. You just don't know that yet. And so this is a sermon. It was a paper. Hopefully, it will go well. So the Word of God tells us in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. And that's really speaking about a new believer in Jesus Christ growing in the wisdom of God. But that does not end. You do not like, you know, I'm a child in Christ, a teenager in Christ. I'm mature in Christ. I am still growing. I do believe I'm a mature believer in Jesus Christ, but I'm still growing in my faith. So it's a lifelong quest of learning the Word of God to gain wisdom that we might grow thereby. And today I would like us to look at seven characteristics that have been drawn from the life of Joseph 
And you can go to Genesis, and we'll begin in chapter 37. Seven characteristics drawn from the life of Joseph, son of Jacob. And Joseph has an amazing story of how God accomplished his divine purposes in the life of Joseph, but really coming from the most difficult of circumstances. And Joseph, though he went from being his father's favorite and parents, you should never let the kids know. <laughs> Granted, if you have one son, it's cool. You can be a favorite. But if you have more than one, try to share uh, that love. My mom was great with the kids and with the grandkids. I mean, she would just, to the T, um, gifts were given and given equally to all the kids. Although we knew that my mom had favorites, but she was fair at sharing for every single one. Jacob was not, and he caused his son Joseph to have some pretty difficult situations, but God was in this, and he went from being his father's favorite son to becoming a slave in Egypt, a prisoner, in the king's prison there in Egypt, then ultimately becoming the number two leader in all of Egypt. And the seven characteristics that I pull out of the life of Joseph are honesty, vision, faithfulness, hardworking, loyal, compassionate, and boldness. And we'll go through each of these one by one. Honesty, vision, faithfulness, hardworking, loyal, compassionate, and boldness. So we're going to be looking at the various stages of the life of Joseph and kind of jumping back and forth just a little bit, but beginning in Genesis 37. And while this could really encourage us to adopt these same characteristics in our own life, it really spoke to me more so about how God can work in our lives in some of the most difficult of circumstances for those who choose to remain faithful to the Lord. So before we get into point one, and that of the characteristics of honesty, I want to open us in prayer and ask God to bless our offertory gifts, but also the teaching of his word this morning. And so Father, you know, here at our fellowship, we no longer take a formal offering uh, with offering plates or bags being passed. But Lord, we thank you so much for the provision that you've given this church now for nearly 30 years, as we'll be celebrating our 30th year at the end of this year in December. We thank you, Lord, for your provision in times past, your provision for this day and our current ministry, and Lord, your provision for the future, whatever that future might hold. We thank you for the gifts given whether given here in this place, uh, coming through the mail or online giving. However the gifts come, Lord, we know they're coming through people who love you and, uh, Lord, desire to support this ministry, and we are grateful. So we thank you, Lord, for that. Now teach us from your word. And maybe, Lord, these seven values will adopt a few, maybe not all, but also, Lord, I'm hoping that you'll teach us that you can work, and sometimes it takes time and a lot of time 
but you can work in the most difficult of circumstances. And Lord, that you can be glorified in and through our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we begin with the characteristics. I don't say that word well. The value of honesty. And I'm going to just read Genesis 37, verse 2, to get us into this. And it tells us the history of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old. So it began very early for Joseph, 17 years old, a teenager. Any teenagers out here? We have a few. He was 17 years old and was feeding the flock with his brothers and the lad with, with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilphah. So he's with... Uh, Zilpah, I should say, but he was with four of his other brothers. And his father, remember, had four wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. So he's 17 years old. And I can tell you from the brother's perspective, Joseph is a tattletale. <laughs> no brother wants to be uh, told on to his dad or mom by another brother. You tattletale, you goody two-shoes. And it could be that he was a tattletale. We don't know. We don't have much more of the context beyond that. The scripture tells us he brought a bad report of them to his father, and there's no specifics about the accounts. And was he just being honest? Was he being a tattletale? We can't go any further than that. But we do know that the Bible tells us in Proverbs 19.11, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook transgression. I've learned this as a pastor. I've learned this as a parent, as a grandparent, that sometimes you just have to let some things go. And it could be that there's something wrong. Somebody does something wrong. Somebody says something wrong. You have to learn to pick your battles. I think that's where Proverbs 19.11 comes in. Uh, great to teach us the discretion of a man or a woman makes him slow to anger. And his or her glory is to overlook transgression. It's not that you always overlook transgression. But sometimes you have to learn to pick your battles. Perhaps Joseph in this situation should have just remained quiet. Perhaps he was justified in what he was doing. And I think when we come into those circumstances where we know something's not right, but it could really hinder in the workplace maybe, it could really hinder our work. I was a foreman for 20, almost 20 years on the job as a brick mason. And I told one of my guys once that uh, he, everybody knew that if they asked him to do something, he would do it to the hurt of his own work. And I eventually told him, I said, look, you have to learn to say no, and you need to do your work because they're making you look bad while, you know, they're just passing off their work on you. Sometimes you just have to learn and take and choose, and sometimes it is reporting. Sometimes it is giving an honest report, of course. Uh, but sometimes you've got to learn to pick the battle. That discretion, make them slow to anger, overlook transgression. But when the Lord leads you, so through prayer, knowing when to speak, when to not to speak, I don't know about Joseph. All I know is that it got him in trouble with his brothers, and it would cost him. 
So according to the New King James, the word honest appears 14 times in the Old Testament. It's found five times. I found this amazing. Five times in Genesis 42 of the brothers, the ones who took Joseph, threw him in a pit, wanted to kill him, ended up selling him into slavery. 13 years later, they appear in front of his brother Joseph, not knowing that it was Joseph, thinking it was some mean ruler in Egypt. And he was to them. And they five times said to Joseph, not knowing that it was Joseph, we are honest men. Wait a minute. Didn't you throw your brother in a pit? Want to kill him, sell him as a slave, rip up his coat of many colors, put blood on it, drop it in front of your dad and say, we just found this. We don't know what happened. And let your dad for actually 22 years think that his son had been torn by wild beasts. We're honest men, liars. They were not. Joseph knew that. But five times they say this about them, themselves, and they were not honest men. The remaining nine uses are connected with having honest scales. Seven of these are used by God commanding Israel to have honest scales. It's like going to the gas station today at 5.55 a gallon. You better hope that you're actually getting a gallon's worth for 5.55. You don't want to get a gallon's worth for 5.55, but you hope that the gauge is actually right. Honest and just scales. The two others are linked to God having honest and just scales. The importance of having honest weights and measures, the honesty of a person, ensures that we have right interactions with one another, and it's really built as an individual, built on our truth and our integrity that we have. I was a brick mason foreman. I've never played lottery, but there was a big lottery thing going on, and my guys down in Chicago were building a school down there, and they all wanted to do the group lottery thing, and it's like, sure, I'll put two bucks in. And they're like, who's going to hold the ticket? Well, John, he's honest. So they gave it to me because I had a reputation among them. They trusted me as their boss, but also they knew me as a pastor. And uh, having that honesty, Job 31.6, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. So honesty is really built on integrity and truth of the individual. And there are some who are known for being dishonest and untruthful, and even when they tell the truth, if they're known for lying, when even when they tell the truth, it's like the boy who cried, cried wolf, right? When he faked it and got the whole towns, that whole uh, nursery rhyme thing, I don't even know what it is, the tale from way back when, uh, the whole town would come out and he would just laugh. But when really it was legitimate, they didn't believe him. Honesty built on one's integrity and truth. So whether a son sent by a father to check on his brothers or a believer who repents and represents Christ before others, a person's integrity is built on their honesty. The second characteristic is that of vision. Again, in chapters 37 here, in verses 5 through 11, the whole of the encounter 
is that of Joseph giving his son a coat of many colors. I'm going to only read two verses. Genesis 37, verses 3 and 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all his brothers. They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So by his father giving him a coat of many colors or a coat, literally the Hebrews could mean a coat with sleeves. So the idea of a coat with sleeves is that he was the foreman. He didn't have to work. Uh, he was going to be put in charge of his brothers. And the brothers understood the meaning of this gift, possibly meaning that uh, dad was setting him up to be the future head of the family. And then to cap it off, as we continue in Genesis 37, verses 5 through 8, and 37, 9 through 11, Joseph had two dreams that the Lord gave him. Now, the first dream he shared with his brother, this goes back to discretion. Maybe Joseph should have kept his mouth shut and not shared the dream that the Lord had given him, but it was a vision of the future. And, and when I looked at this this morning, Joseph would later tell Pharaoh, the reason he gave you two dreams is because the Lord is telling you that this thing will surely happen. And here we have Joseph receiving two dreams from the Lord, the Lord telling him that this will surely happen. The first dream was that he and his brothers were out um, gathering sheaves, and suddenly his sheaf stood up, and his brothers bowed down, and they understood that they would bow down to him as he would have authority over them. They're thinking, no way, we're not going to bow down to you, and they hated him even the more. The Second dream was even more so. It included his father and mother, where he saw the sun, the moon, and 11 stars to account for his brothers, all bowing down before him. And even his father said, we're not going to bow down before you. But the word tells us in Genesis 37:11, his father kept the matter in his mind. For the next 13 years of Joseph's life, his dreams of having authority over his brothers were not realized. He would be captured by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, become a slave in the household of an Egyptian, accused of rape, cast into prison. And yet the Bible tells us that God was with Joseph twice. When he was sold as a slave, Genesis 39.2, the Lord was with Joseph. He was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Genesis 39.21, when he's in prison, the Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Joseph was put in a bad situation, but in twice, even though he's in this horrific situations, he served other people, as we'll learn in a moment. And God allowed him to kind of rise up in position within those situations. God was actually teaching him, teaching him how to govern people and ultimately to govern a nation. 
In other words, this dreamer was right where the Lord wanted him to be for the future work that God had in store for his life. And the importance of having vision or goals uh, should cause us to ask, if the Lord should tarry for one year, five years, or ten years, what do I envision for my life or my ministry? So Christians should take steps to see that in become reality. What do we envision? For me, as a pastor, uh, turning 62 in just uh, less than two months. <laughs> so I'm thinking I'm getting older just a little bit. And I don't know how long I'll be in this pulpit. And Pastor Chuck, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, went to he preached his last sermon two days before he passed away. He was 86 years old, but I believe he did well until he was 80 years old, and then things really began to decline. And I kind of look at that thinking, maybe he should have stepped back at that point. He was going strong until he was 80. Maybe the Lord has another 18 years in me. I don't know. But my desire is to prepare this place for the next generation of wor worshipers. So for me, it's that preparation, continue teaching, but preparing to pass it off to someone else and a whole new group of worshipers in this place. So we should be accomplishing those, those goals in our lives. For, for Joseph... Well, he was a man who had vision, and the Lord gives us vision, and we should be taking steps to accomplish those visions, to help them come reality. Maybe the Lord gives us a vision, but it's actually the steps that we take that opens a new door that actually gives us something that the Lord actually intended, but without taking the steps, we never see that. And it could be said that those without vision will never see their dreams become reality. So our third characteristic is that of faithfulness. Genesis 37 again, verses 13 and 14 says, And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said, Here I am. And he said to them, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. And so he went out to the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. He didn't find his brothers there in Shechem. They had already moved on. He would uh, search for them. So he could have said, I know teenagers is like, I went to Shechem where they were supposed to be. They weren't there, so I came back to tell you they're not there. He actually searched around, found somebody, and said, have you seen my brothers? And they, oh yeah, I heard that they were going over here. So he went to find them. It would cause him a lot of trouble. But he t went the extra mile. He had done what his dad asked him to do. His brothers were not at the place where they were supposed to be. And uh, I think it, God doing all of this because God separated Joseph out that he could be cast away and put into the pits as what will happen 
but his faithfulness. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And even though Jacob had great faith in his son by sending him to check on his brothers, and yet it really began a great trial in Joseph's lives. For the next 13 years, no matter the circumstance, Joseph, though, would remain faithful. Just that he had been sent faithfully to find his brothers, he faithfully served the Egyptian master, and Joseph was faithful even in the prison during that time. And ultimately, God would make him overseer of his house, all that was put under his authority for the Egyptian master that he served under. In Genesis 39, 4, he saw that God blessed him, and that Egyptian put Joseph over all that he had. And then in prison, again, the prisoner saw that God blessed this man, and the prisoner put Joseph in charge of all the prison. So he was faithful. The Greek word in the New Testament is pistos. In the King James Bible, it's translated as believe or believing or believer. And it speaks of someone who has trusted or believed in Jesus, this pistos, having faith in Christ. But also it speaks about the faithfulness that we have. And faithfulness is something that Joseph excelled, excelled at, even in the worst of circumstances. Today, this type of faithfulness begins when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first step. Put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. Once saved, we are to remain faithful to follow him all the days of our lives, knowing that he is always faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, For he who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Know that God is faithful. And so because of that, we should walk in faithfulness to the Lord. This could be a good proverb. I made this up. This is all me. So that's why I say it could be a good proverb. Those who are found faithful in all situations will know the peace of God and find favor with others. Those who are faithful in all situations will know the peace of God and find favor with others. I believe that's Important because sometimes there's only so much we can do as individuals, and we just have to let it rest in God's hands. So the fourth characteristic, hardworking. Joseph was hardworking. We find this in Genesis 39, verse 2 and verse 11. Even though Joseph had been betrayed and sold into slavery, he was diligent with the work that was set before him. So much so... Genesis 39.2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And even on the day he was falsely accused of rape, cast into prison, Joseph was in his master's house, Genesis 39.11, to do his work. Even though it had been troublesome for Joseph to be about around his master's wife because she desired him. But his hardworking characteristic caused him to gain favor with his father, with his Egyptian master, the keeper of the prison, and ultimately the pharaoh. Solomon wrote, Proverbs 22, 
29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. And certainly this was true for Joseph. Once released from prison, Joseph's labors spared Egypt from a great famine, certain destruction. For during the seven years of plenty, Joseph required a 20% tax of their produce, built storehouses, prepared for the coming great famine. And it was because of his hard work that Genesis 41:57 tells us that all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was so severe in all the lands. Thus Joseph became the savior of Egypt, his own family, and many nations. And though Joseph was hardworking, he was not a workaholic. And this is something that I really never thought about before addressing this uh, seven characteristics of Joseph's lives. Two years into the famine, his family showed up, and after he revealed himself to his brothers, he asked about his father, he asked about, well, he learned about his younger brother, Benjamin, and then he took time to get his family situated in Egypt. Uh, had his brothers go fetch his father, their whole households, and to bring them down, he got them settled in Goshen. Uh, he brought them before the Pharaoh and got everything set up and then he returned to his labors, as found in Genesis 47. So you can be hardworking. You don't have to neglect family. You don't neglect God. But to be a hardworking person and find balance, and sometimes that's hard to do. I think Joseph showed that he had balance in this, taking care of his family. Once his family was settled, he went back to his labors to take care of the famine, five more years of famine at that time. The Bible tells us in John 6, 27, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. And then Luke 9, 62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And the hardworking Christian must care for his family while keeping the eternal perspective and focus, looking forward to that eternal reward in this temporal life. Number five, this characteristic, characteristic of loyalty. Genesis 39 verse 9 will be our target verse. With all that had come against Joseph, his loyalty to God, to me, is an amazing thing. Now, I've thought about this for years. Joseph had been betrayed by his brothers, cast into a pit. They wanted to kill him. Uh, they sold him into slavery. He was probably the only Hebrew, and we know he was, in all of Egypt. And he was the number two person in the house, as far as authority goes, the number two person in the house of his master, even though he was a slave, he had authority in the master's house. He controlled everything. The Bible tells us all that the master had to concern himself was the food that was set on the table before him. So all the master, while Joseph was around, all he would do is like, what's for supper? That was his only concern. The problem was, his master's wife had eyes for Joseph. 
Now, Joseph could have said, look, I control the household. I control everything in this master's house, except for the food that's set on his table, and I'm the one who even puts the food there. Probably didn't cook it, but he was responsible for it. He said, I've taken everything. I might as well take the master's wife. He could have said that. God has abandoned me. My family has abandoned me. But he did not. What he said when this wife relentlessly attempted to seduce him, Genesis 39, 9, he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph may have felt abandoned by his family, his friends, but he did not feel abandoned by God, nor did he abandon his faith in God. He remained loyal. The New King James Bible in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, refers to individuals either having or not having loyal hearts to the Lord 14 times. I don't have 14 fingers, so I can't hold them up that well. 14 times. I can do that. In fact, on the day that Solomon dedicated the temple, he encouraged his nation, saying, 1 Kings 8.61, Let your heart, therefore, be loyal to the Lord your God, to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments, as it is this day. On that day of the dedication of the temple, they were loyal. And Solomon said, Let's remain loyal. Now, Solomon would even fail in this himself. So anyone is susceptible to becoming unloyal to God, unloyal to family, unloyal to the workplace, any situation. So the Hebrew word for loyal, it can mean, it's an adjective that can mean complete, safe, or at peace. I really like the at peace. Jesus said, John 16, 33. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So it's in Christ that we have peace, not in the world. The world will never know peace. The Living Bible paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter the cost. Loyalty. In the Hebrew, it's a word that can refer to having peace. And truly, Joseph's life was filled with tribulation, yet because of his love for God, he remained loyal to God. And I believe because of that loyalty, he served others. And I also believe that he knew the peace of God. So those who are loyal to Jesus can find peace amid the tribulations of this world. Number six, compassionate. Genesis 40, 7 and 8 is the key verses here. So Joseph is in prison. He's the overseer within the prison. Of course, he's under the keeper of the prison, but he made him in charge. And we find that there in the king's prison that the Pharaoh, this is all God's doing, but he got mad at the chief baker, the chief butler. He put him into prison. And as Joseph was serving the prisoners, he asked this question, Genesis 40, verse 7, why do you look so sad today? It really reveals to me that Joseph was compassionate. They were all, they could have said, we're in prison. You're in prison. Why aren't you sad? 
They were all in prison. They were all in a bad situation. But there was something else going on. And so he asked the question, why so sad? It really reveals his compassion for others. Joseph had a legitimate concern for those whom God had placed under his care. Recognizing this concern, the chief butler, the chief baker explained, we have each had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. Genesis 40 verse 8. So Joseph responded to them. He actually glorified God saying, uh, Genesis 40, verse 8 again, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me, please. So Joseph trusted God that God would give him the interpretation. We know that this will play into his life later. The prophet Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3.22, though the Lord's mercies are not consumed because his compassions fail not. And the Hebrew word there for compassions, when it's in the singular form, it, it actually in the singular form in the Hebrew means a woman's womb. But in the plural form, it means this idea of being compassionate or tenderness or having mercy. God's unfailing compassion uh, toward Joseph helped him to show compassion toward others, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And Joseph's compassion allowed him to minister to the chief butler and the chief baker. And this is something that, again, I've been through the Bible a, a couple of times in the sense of it's not the first time I went through this book or read it or studied it or taught the book of Genesis, but I keep learning. And this is something that stood out to me. Now, he trans uh, interpreted the dreams. The chief butler would be restored in three days to his former position. The chief baker, it would be off with the head. Now, that was the interpretation of the dream. Bad luck, buddy. You're dying in three days. That'd be hard to tell someone, but... Realize this, Joseph had an opportunity to minister to this guy for three days and to share with him about the love and the mercy and the kindness and the compassion of God. Did I mission that it's been an emotional few days for me? <laughs> In this life, God will place people in the sphere of our influence that are dependent on the use of our spiritual gifts. It could be that we might be the only person that will be able to reach an individual. It could be that we would be in a situation of Joseph where we might be the last opportunity to share the love of Christ with another before they pass from this earth. John Johnston once, and I believe rightly states, there are people only we can reach as a result in the biblical perspective, they are our responsibility. There are people that only we can reach. And as a result, in the biblical perspective, they are our responsibility. And what do we do with that responsibility? It begins sometimes with compassion. 
In the world, it's filled with trials, it's filled with tribulation, but Christians should be compassionate toward others because Jesus always shows compassion toward us. And number seven, boldness. Genesis 41, verses 8 through 16, not reading all those verses, but I'll pick out a couple of things from there. So now Joseph's been in Egypt, either as a slave in Potiphar's house or in the prison for 13 years. And Pharaoh, in one night, had two dreams. He woke up in the morning, he called all of his wise guys around and said, look, guys, I've had these dreams, you gotta tell me what they mean. They're really troubling to me. They said, we have no clue. Now for two years, the chief butler forgot about Joseph. The thing is, and I didn't have this in my notes, but I think it's important. Joseph said to the chief butler two years older, earlier, he said, remember me. Remember me when you stand before Pharaoh again. I am innocent. And he forgot for two years. This was all God that caused him to forget, but he forgot. Joseph was in a bad situation, but he didn't stop and say, all right, I just give up. He was trying to get out of it. But in God's timing, in God's perfect timing, the butler remembered. When there was no one, Genesis 41.8, no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh, the butler remembered of the young Hebrew, Genesis 41.12, who two years earlier interpreted the dreams of his chief butler and chief baker. Two dreams, the surety of the dreams. Now we have not only... They had two dreams, but it happened just like Joseph said it would happen. One was off with the head. The other restored to his place, his position. And the butler testified then before Pharaoh in Genesis 41, 13. It came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. So Joseph then stood before the king. They had to clean him up. He was in a prison. They shaved him. They made him look respectable. They draw, brought him before the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh said, we heard that you can interpret dreams. Now, boldness. Joseph was in a land where they had multitude of gods. And yet Joseph boldly said in front of this pagan Pharaoh, Genesis 41, 15, or 41.16, it's not me. God will give Pharaoh the interpretation. So he gave glory to God in a pagan land. In schools today, we can say it's not me. It was Jesus. In our workplace today, not me, Jesus. And our workplaces, our school, they're not wanting us to say that. Are we going to have boldness? Joseph had boldness. He was a slave, 13 years. And he could have said, he could have pleaded his case. He could have done a lot of things. And the very first thing he said is, God will give you the answer. And so he interpreted the dream. He told of the uh, seven years of good, of plenty, of abundance, and seven years of famine that would be so severe that they would even forget about the good times. Man, this sounds like our nation right now, but I won't go there. We've had good times, and we are in two years of not so good and getting worse. 
For Pharaoh, he put Joseph in charge of preparing and managing the coming famine. Why? Because Joseph, all he had to do was interpret the dreams. He did that. He told Pharaoh, this is what's coming. And then he went one step further. This is what you should do about it. Pharaoh didn't ask him, what should we do? Joseph volunteered the answer. Where did he learn that answer? From watching over his father's flocks, from being a servant in the household of Potiphar, from being in charge there in the prison. He knew exactly what the nation should do. And Pharaoh said, is there anyone with any more wisdom than this man? And he was raised up to the second under Pharaoh. Pharaoh put a, a ring on him, put a robe on him, gave him a chariot. So he was in the, you know, number two chariot there. And people would have to bow before him. He was raised up. He even gave him a wife. He raised up. And through the past trials, God taught Joseph not only how to manage people, but to manage a nation. Joseph's years of being a slave, a prisoner, taught him to come boldly before the throne of God's grace. Hebrews 4.16, that's where boldness begins, to become boldly before the throne of grace. And it gave him courage to be bold in the presence of Pharaoh, saying, it's not me, it's God. And by the way, this is what you should do. I'm sure if Joe Biden would come and ask me, and I would give him counsel of, this is what you should do. He may or may not listen to me, but to have the boldness to say it, that would be one thing. Whether they listen, that's up to them. But Joseph had learned in all that situations that had befallen his wife that God cared for him. Therefore, like the author of Hebrews, Joseph was able to boldly say, Hebrews 13, 6, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And believers who have learned to come boldly before the throne of grace will boldly go forth in prayer, from prayer, to serve others. Believers who have learned to be boldly to come before the throne of God's grace will boldly go forth from prayer to serve others. So, just to sum it up, this is not an exhaustive study. Remember, this was a class project. He told me, the professor, seven values, seven, I can get it, seven values. I wasn't going to give him eight. I probably could have thought of another one. He said seven, I'm doing seven. This is the seven I came up with. The seven characteristics, honesty, vision, faithfulness, hardworking, loyal, compassionate, and boldness. And it really reveals that servants of God can accomplish remarkable things amid difficult circumstances of life. All we need is a little honesty to build our integrity upon, a vision to see dreams become reality, faithfulness to find favor with God and favor with others. Hard work that keeps our eye on the everlasting rewards that are ours. Loyalty to Jesus amid the tribulation of this world. Compassion toward others, even when you might be in a very difficult place yourself, because we have received the compassion of Christ. And boldness to go forth from prayer 
to serve others. And Father, we pray that you would help us to do so. As we close out now, Lord, in worship, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts. There are much that we can learn from your word. And maybe, Lord, some of these values, these characteristics that we find from Joseph's lives can be rightly applied to our own lives. Maybe it's something else you want to teach us. But I do understand, Lord, that everything begins with a right relationship with your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the beginning step for every person needed on this earth to surrender their hearts, their lives to Jesus who gave his life upon a cross that our sins might be forgiven. So now, Lord, as Pastor Kevin is down front as we close out in this last worship song, if those, Lord, desiring just to seek your face in prayer would desire to come and have Kevin pray with them or maybe come and kneel down at the prayer benches in the front of the church, Lord, we just ask that you'd work. This day we pray in the name of Jesus, amen.